Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we can come into your house with your people and worship you. I pray that you'd uh, just begin preparing our hearts to do that rightly. Uh, as we come today to study uh, hindrances to thankfulness, we pray that you would just uh, guide our steps and uh, unblock our eyes to just see Jesus in everything and see him all the time that we might be rightly thankful to you. Uh, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, we've heard how gratitude is right, we've seen how wise it is, we've seen what it looks like, we've seen its fruits and benefits, we've seen the dangers of not being grateful, we've seen what it looks like in practice, practical applications of it, Uh, we've seen how to be grateful through contentment. Uh, We've reminded ourselves of the wonder of God's goodness and his gifts through all things and how we always have something to be thankful for. And we've even seen last week how we can be thankful through our suffering because God is sovereign. So we're good now, right? Everybody's figured out thankfulness, you know, set, right? Well, of course not, right? If you're anything like me, you still have many, many, many hindrances to thankfulness, and you're sort of looking at yourself wondering, why, we just, how many weeks has it been? We've been going through this. Why am I still struggling with this? Um, So we're talking about hindrances to thankfulness today. Um, And as we talk about this, I think it's helpful to remember that thankfulness has an object, a target, right? Somebody that we're thankful to. Um, And so we're not just talking about the kinds of failures to be thankful for, you know, that nice thing somebody did to me. Oh, I, I really should write more thank you notes, or I should really, you know, you know, give back to my community more and, you know, help people out more. I, it's, it's, that, those are important. They're, they're critical even to seeing sort of what our heart is like, seeing that we're truly thankful as that outflow. But really, the, mo- the more important thing that we're thinking about is why aren't we properly thankful to God who gives us everything. Why aren't we thankful all the time for all things as he commands us to be? Um, so let's, let's brainstorm a minute. What, what, what are some things that keep you from being thankful? Man, you skipped right to the main point. Come on, Josh. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, sin, right? Um, what, what else? Get specific. Yeah, so that self-word orientation, right, instead of that God-word orientation. Um, the book lists a couple that I think are, are helpful, um, but, but, but goes on. Um, you know, there, he calls it inertia. We're, we're born fussing and whining, right, and we grow up fussing and whining, and, and that's, that's the natural bent of our heart, is that's, that we, we start out entitled, and we have to work against that natural bent. Um, and also that we're surrounded by a world full of people who aren't grateful. And so those two things alone are just kind of pressure to not be grateful the way we should be. Um, I think about you know our habits, right? We just have bad habits that prevent us from being thankful because that's not the habit we've developed. Um, you know, we, we can be anxious or instead of being thankful, we can be, um, you know, sometimes affluence or, or the ability to, you know, have what you want 
at any point can prevent us from being thankful because we don't have to think about everything that went into getting something. Um, so, you know, you, you already stole my thunder. The main point is that it's sin, right? We're, we're blind. Um, the, the author of our book explains that, you know, we're, we are blind to the goodness of God because of our sin, and so we are not rightly looking and seeing that, that God is good. We're looking and thinking about, and I think that's, we'll, we'll dwell on that some more, we're, we're dwelling on other things other than God. Um, he's got this quote from, from Deuteronomy 29 um, about our failure to see. This is Deuteronomy 29, 2 through 4. Uh, and Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. So it's, we, we don't have the eyes of faith to see if we are failing to be thankful. Um, what can you guys think of any other biblical examples of blindness causing a lack of gratitude? A bunch of them we've we've talked about already, so I'll, I'll kind of pivot to them. And but any elaborate? Well, there was an angel that was going to kill him, and mm. the donkey saw him, but he didn't see him. Mm. And he gets angry and upset. It's a stupid donkey, and I, I know what it's feeling because I have a stupid donkey. <laughs> donkey isn't doing what he wants him to do because he doesn't know the danger because mm. he's blind to it. And so he should be grateful for the actions for what of his donkey, God's doing. It's yeah. the exact opposite. Yeah. Because he's blind. Yeah. So. Think of the older brother, too, in that parable of the prodigal son. Yeah, or even the younger brother at first, well, right? Yeah, they're both, and they're looking at the stuff, right? And then the older brother's looking at his own behavior. And so when the younger brother comes back, instead of the older brother seeing, you know, seeing God in that and seeing mercy, which is what God would have him to see, all he sees is, you know, well, what about me? What about my party? So he's, you know, that blindness is because he's looking somewhere else, right? I think that's, that's kind of the, the point is that it's, it's never that we're, it's not like we're trying to look at God and we're trying our best to, to look at him and, and our eyes are blocked up, right? We're looking somewhere else instead. And um, some examples I wrote down here, you know, in Numbers 21, we just read about the Israelites being blinded, right? They were blind to um, the goodness of God in the midst of their wilderness trial, right? Instead of looking at God, they're looking back at Egypt with really weird rose-colored glasses about how great that was because they're forgetting how enslaved they were and how terrible it was. And they're like, oh, we were, the food was better in Egypt, right? Uh, and they're not looking forward to the promise that, that God is, has, has given them. And so they're just looking with blinders on in the wrong direction, and they're not seeing God's goodness in, you know, what he's given them. And so they're cursed with the serpents as a result. And then what's the, you know, what's the solution, right? Spoiler alert. They have to look to Christ, right? They have to look to that bronze serpent. And when they look rightly, they're healed. Um, or the, 
the, uh, the lepers, the, the nine that didn't come back, right? Um, they weren't physically blind. They weren't even completely blind in the sense that they understood that Jesus had the power to save them and they went to him. But then when they see that they are healed, uh, I think Luke writes it that the, the one who comes back, he sees that he's healed and he comes back to Jesus, right? So he is seeing beyond just the physical manifestation of blessing and he's seeing rightly through that to the giver of it, to God. And he's not being distracted by the gift. Um, he's, the gift is, a, is amazing. He's not a leper anymore, <laughs> but he sees that that requires looking to the giver of the gift and being uh, thankful for that. Um, since you, I think you mentioned Aiken last time, and I couldn't remember the story, so this time I studied up. And uh, I, I actually thought it was interesting, uh, the language in, in Joshua 7 about Achan, when he confesses his sin that has caused the Israelites to lose their, their, their battle the day before, um, he tells Joshua, yeah, I, I sinned, here's what I did. I saw, I coveted, I took. Right, And so, again, he's not looking at what God wants them to be looking at. He's not looking to God. He's not looking to the promise. He's looking at the stuff. And he's like, oh, that sounds good. And then he covets, and that's sort of the anathema to thankfulness, right, is coveting. And so that seeing the wrong thing, that looking at the wrong thing, is what produces that ingratitude in him and that lack of thankfulness that then causes him to sin in a way that has these disastrous consequences, right? Um, it's the same language out loud. That's right. Immediately from the garden. They saw. Saw. And tonight I took it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so what's the common thread here, right? I mean, we've already said it. They're, they're seeing wrong. They're looking at the wrong thing. And they're forgetting the Lord as a result. Um, if you remember, we talked about these sort of, these two cycles of, um, these feedback loops of gratitude and orientation, right? We have, if you're grateful, that orients you towards God. And as you're oriented towards God, you're more grateful. And if you're ungrateful, then you begin to be self-oriented. And the more you're self-word oriented, the less grateful you are, right? So if we're oriented toward God, then we're looking at him. If we're looking at him, we are seeing all the good that he's done and all the good that he is, and we are more rightly grateful. But if we're oriented to self, we're forgetting God because we're thinking about us. We're forgetting who we are in Christ and who we were as sinners. We forget, you know, whose we are. We forget what we've been given and we forget our duty to be thankful and we forget everything God did. Um, I think last time I, I went a little more in detail in Deuteronomy 8 where there's the warning and the, the sort of the blessing curse promises of don't forget everything I've done. Here's all the things I've done. God recites everything he's done for, for the Israelites. He's saying, when you're, when you're comfortable with all this blessing that I've given you, don't forget and don't start thinking, look at all this great stuff that I did, lest you forget the Lord your God, right? And that's that warning about turning away from looking to God and looking at yourself and yielding ingratitude. So why, why do we forget and why do we see wrong? Well, because we're blinded by sin. Um, Ephesians 5, which we've looked at a bunch over the course of this study, you know, there's 
There's the two verses, two anchor verses, and then we, we've, we've talked a lot about the in, the in between. In, in you know, verse 20, we're commanded to you know, give thanks always. So the idea is that right thankfulness and gratitude should be completely pervading our life. Um, but Paul sort of hints at why it won't, or why, what, in what context it won't because of our sin, when earlier in verse uh, 4, he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. So he understands that our default mode is going to be this corrupt heart full of filthiness and yuckiness and sin, and we have to work hard to supplant that, to put off that, and put on thankfulness. Um, and if, if you look ahead into verse 15, or you know, even verse eight. I'd, I'd like to just read the whole chapter, but we don't have time. Um, you know, walk as children of light. That's verse eight. Verse fifteen. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. I think that look word is is important there, right? Look carefully how you walk. Well, that we, means we need to be looking at Christ for how we're supposed to be walking, right? And I think the fact that he says make the best use of your time, look carefully how you walk. It's, it's underscoring, you know, the degree that we have to go to to fix our ingratitude problem, right? Again, this is not, I don't write enough thank you notes level of ingratitude problem. This is a completely, like, wholly corrupting sin problem in all of our life. And our biggest hindrance to gratitude is that we aren't taking seriously how much work we have cut out for ourselves to root out the sin that is preventing gratitude. Um, you know, the, the we're going to be grateful for the things that we are thinking about often that that are that are blessings to us. And so, if we are filling up our life with things other than Christ how can we be grateful for him properly? How can we be grateful to him properly if we're not filling up our life with Christ, if we're not looking at him all the time in everything? We can't. Um, you know, what, what we ought to be doing is looking to Christ, walking always in gratefulness to him. And, you know, I, I wrote down here, this, this, isn't, this isn't like a, a tip or a suggestion or a life hack, right? It's a command, right? First Thessalonians 5.16, you know, and Philippians 4, you know, rejoice always, pray with, you know, rejoice continually, pray continually with thanksgiving, right? This is not a, you know, suggestion on how to make your life a little bit better by being actively grateful or something, right? You know, it's a very popular thing today to figure out how to kind of life hack psychologically, figure out how to be you know, more grateful person so that your life's a little better for you. This is way bigger than that, right? This is, you know, root out all the sin in your life and replace it with this Godward orientation in everything that you're doing that will result in gratitude. Um, you know, we, if we want to be thankful always, then we have to root out the filth that Paul's telling us in Ephesians here to replace with thankfulness. We have to evaluate 
every element of our life, right? Our patterns, our, you know, what, what we do when we go to bed, what we do when we're alone, what we do, you know, when you have some free time, what you do when you're driving to work, all of those things are time that we're commanded to redeem and commanded to not fill with this idle talk or this foolish talk, but with thankfulness. So, I mean, we have to, we have to examine all of those things and figure out when am I not looking at Christ? And man, this is convicting. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I spent a lot of time just looking at my own life last night as I was kind of going over the, the lesson plan and, and it's so convicting because you think, you know, off the top of your head at first, you just like, yeah, you know, I know that in, you know, this, this time I can be ungrateful sometimes and here and here. But then when you start looking at, you know, every day of the week, every hour of that day and every minute of that hour, you start realizing how much of my time I'm spending not Christward oriented, right? Not looking to Christ in all things. Um, you know, it, we have to take this so seriously, right? We can't just say, like when, when, we, found, uh, when we found mold in our old house, we didn't just say, oh man, that's a bummer. Hope, hope it goes away, right? And we didn't just say, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Or, you know, maybe, maybe next time I'm, I'm, you know, at the store, maybe I'll pick something up if, to take care of it, right? You, you know, it wasn't this sort of lackadaisical way that we approach so many of our minor problems in life. We, we said, we got to get out of here right now. And then we got to go in and we're going to cut it all out. And we had to plan, well, what do I need to do this rightly? I got to go, you know, attack this like the serious problem that it is. And, you know, when I, for context, we had an exterior door, something like this, and the place we'd found the mold was like here. I thought, okay, this is, won't be too bad, right? I'm just tearing out this one section, right? Well, I tore that out, and then I realized, oh, maybe there's some more under the baseboards. And I tore this out, and I realized, oh, maybe there's some more over to this wall. And I tore that out, and then I realized, oh, man, it's not just these walls. It's behind the cabinets, right, in the, in the kitchen. And I did, we tore the cabinets. Oh, it's on the back of the cabinets. All right, these cabinets are trash. All right, the countertop's trash, right? The wall behind the dishwasher's trash, right? It was invasive because as I kept rooting out rooting it out, I kept seeing more and more places where it was, right? And it didn't matter the amount of havoc it wrecked to the rest of our life, right? But there go our kitchen cabinets, there go, right? Didn't matter how much work it was gonna take, didn't matter how much it was gonna cost, it had to go, right? I had to take care of that problem. And that meant that there were a lot of late nights rebuilding cabinets and a lot of late nights and, you know, prepping for a new countertop install and putting, you know, completely redoing the drywall behind all those countertops. But that didn't matter because it had to happen to get rid of the filth. So we have to take our life seriously like that in terms of where, where is the spot where I'm not being grateful, where I'm not looking to Christ. Okay, it's just right here, right? All right. Oh, it's there too. Okay. Oh, it's there too, right? And we just have to keep going and we have to attack it intentionally. Um, we have to, I mentioned this earlier, that we, you know, you can't be thankful for something if you're not thinking about it. Right? We, we can't, if, if we're always thinking about something else, then we, we're not going to be meditating on the blessings and grace of Christ. So we won't be thankful for it. 
So we have to think practically about how we can be always preaching the gospel to our minds, so to speak, right? How can, you know, where are the, what are the times, the areas, the, you know, the opportunities that I can just be refreshing my mind with, with Christ? Um, again, this is not a recommendation for, you know, a better life. It's a command. We, it's our duty. Um, I think one of the reasons that we have so much trouble with this and one of the reasons that we aren't rightly thankful is that we aren't practicing it. You know, we're, we're kind of like the, the kid who wants to learn how to, how to draw, and then you tell them, you know, oh, you know, just start drawing. And they, they draw something, and they mess it up, and they're like, oh, I, I'm no good at drawing, and they give up, and they throw the crayon down. Like, well, you're no good because you haven't practiced yet. You're, you're going to start off not very good at it, and you need to keep trying, right? Or maybe a more biblical analogy is, um, you know, going, going to the gym, and maybe you've never worked out a day in your life, and you go to the gym, and you hop on the treadmill, and you can run for about 30 seconds, and then you get off, and if you're like me, you're just like, <laughs> right? And then you, if, if your response to that is, well, that's no fun. I'm out of shape. I can't work out. And you walk out of the gym, you never come back. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. If you're out of shape, you need to work out, right? <laughs> right? You can't say, oh, I'm, I'm out of shape, so I, I can't do that. Like, no, no, you need to do that because you're not good at it. <laughs> so I think that's what it's like with thankfulness. You know, we, we know we need to be more thankful. We try to force ourselves, especially this time of year, and try to, try to force ourselves to be a little more thankful, think, you know, think about the ways that we're blessed. And then we do it, and it feels forced. And we're like, well, you know, I guess, I guess that's just not me. I guess, you know, because our heart hasn't caught up yet. And so then we, we give up. It's like, well, that doesn't feel good because I know I'm not good at it. And I don't want to not feel good again, so I'm going to just not try that again. But our duty is to say, no, we need to do it, right? We have to, we have to go work out. We have to keep doing it, even when we don't like how bad we are at it, even when we realize that it's not just that one little spot in the wall, it's the whole kitchen. And we have to keep doing it, even though you know, it makes us feel bad sometimes. And the, the funny thing about that is that it will, you know, that can sometimes be a motivator for thankfulness, right? Because we can see, oh man, I'm so much yuckier than I thought I was, right? But Christ still died for me. Or, you know, he's still patient with me through all of this, and he's being good to me in allowing me to see this so that I can see how much I need him, and I can see how much I need his spirit and his word to sanctify me, right? It's kind of like the the suffering that we talked about last week, where that suffering can see, help us to see God's goodness. Even with, you know, it's so counterintuitive to, to the way the world thinks, but it's the same thing with you know, the, the sin that will sort of present itself to us when we're trying to be more grateful. That is an opportunity to just entrust ourselves to the Lord and to look to him in everything. Um, Hebrews 12 you know, has this, kind of carries this analogy of, of, of running the race, right, of that, of, of working out. Um, as I was preparing for this, I started off going, okay, I'll read this section of Hebrews 12. And then I was like, well, I really want to read the whole chapter. And I was like, well, I really want to read Hebrews 11 too. And, you know, really for that you need Hebrews 10. And then really, and, you know, so I'm not going to read the whole book of Hebrews, but um, I would encourage you to just read this and 
read this out loud to yourself. I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I sometimes when I'm reading silently to myself, I just kind of skim. I'm in study mode. I'm just like, okay, yep, that's there and that's there. Okay, great. But when I force myself to stop uh, Friday night when I was looking over this and just read this out loud to myself slowly, it, it sat me down. Like, it's, anyway, Hebrews 12, um, I'll, I'll, I won't read all of it. I'll skip over some parts, but starting in verse 1, you know, we've just had the hall of faith, right? All these examples of God's grace to people and giving them faith in a lot of them are people we wouldn't have thought were super amazing examples. Um, but he says, uh, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. If you don't remember anything else from today, that's the part to remember, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then if you remember one other thing, remember the first part of this, verse three, consider him. That, mean, that word means study, right? It's not just like, oh, cool, yeah, Jesus did, all right, great. It's study, right? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He goes on to talk about, you know, the discipline of the Lord as a good thing, as like the discipline of a loving father. Uh, and then verse 12, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths to your feet, right? Get, get back on the treadmill, <laughs> right? Uh, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And then uh, he goes on, he's talking about, you know, how, um, you know, we will see these, you know, that Christ will shake the heavens and earth one, one more time. Um, uh, and uh, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And then verse, thir verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So the end of that race, that marathon, right, that hard work that is consuming our whole life is gratefulness and worship to King Jesus. And we are told, consider him. That's, I mean, that's it. That's the solution, right, for all these hindrances to our thankfulness, no matter how... Um, deep they run, no matter how ingrained our sin is, study Jesus, consider him. We can see God sort of presenting Christ to his people um, in Psalm 40. Really, this whole middle section of the Psalms, I could have just thrown a dart at and picked a Psalm at random, and, and we could have gone over it and seen... Um, <laughs> Yeah, seen the, the goodness of the Lord. Um, but, but Psalm 40 is one that, that the book author dwells on a little bit. 
Um, Psalm 40, verse 1, David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And then... Um, uh, skip down to verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. You know, we, could, we could keep reading, but um, we see that David, you know, he was going through some kind of hard time. We don't really know what, um, but he waits on the Lord, right? He's looking to God. And God gives him a new song of thankfulness as David is orienting his heart towards God. Um, and then he's able to know God's deeds, verse 5 and, and verse 8, because and, and to speak of them and tell them to others and to himself because God's law is in his heart. Right. So we can't do this if we don't know God's word. We can't study Jesus and consider him and look to him and orient our life around him and if, if we don't know what he's done, and if we don't know what he says to us, right? So we have to hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against, right? that we might not be ungrateful. Um, I, I was thinking about, you know, what this looks like for me. And one, one aspect of my personality is I, I get used to things really, really quickly, um, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. You know, it can be good that when, you know, when we had to move out of our house temporarily because of all the mold and we moved into our in-laws for a few months and we went from a nice big master bedroom to a little guest room with a smaller bed, I, I was just like, all right, this is what we're doing now. And it didn't really bother me. Um, but then the bad side of that is that I very quickly stop thinking about all the goodness that God has given me. I get used to it really quickly. Um, I was thinking about how, you know, every Lord's Day, we come here, we do Sunday school for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, we go upstairs, start worship, and it's usually not until towards the end of the sermon or, um, you know, midway through communion that I really feel like all the gunk has been ripped off my heart enough for me to feel the level of gratitude towards God that I ought to be feeling really all the time, right? Um, so as I think about that, it's like, okay, that's, that basically means it's taking me about two hours of focused meditation on God's word and on his goodness before my heart is in the right place. So if that's how long that takes on the Lord's day, right, with God's people in, in, in his house, right, how much more should I be working hard all week long to be orienting my heart and orienting my life towards him, right? I mean, that, like, that should make me want to go just completely redesign my life so that I can not be two hours away at any point from meditating on his goodness and feeling grateful to him. 
I mean, I should be two seconds away from that. I should be zero seconds away from that, right? Um, so I think that's, you know, we, we I've, you may have seen the, there's a little viral video of a professor teaching people about priorities in life and he takes a, he takes a jar and he fills it up with big rocks and he says, is the jar full? And people are like, yeah, it's full. And then he puts some more little rocks in and then he pours the sand in and he says, well, what would happen if I'd poured the sand in first? Well, then I wouldn't have been able to get any of the big rocks in, right? We, we've effectively poured the sand in first to our lives. We need to dump it out and then we need to put the one big rock, the only one that matters, that's Jesus in there, right? And then we can fill up the cracks with whatever other blessings he's given to us to, you know, glorify him and enjoy him forever, right? But we can't, we can't take the rock that is Christ and try to fill in the cracks of our life with him. That he wants our whole heart, right? Not, not the leftovers. Um, he, he, he must reign supreme. Um, just one more example of how, you know, this might apply to you. For me, you know, my day job requires a lot of mental focus when I'm working. I have to be completely focused on what I'm working on in order to be effective. So that means that when I'm working, I can't be meditating on God's word the way I'd like to. So that means I need to work extra hard to make sure that when I do have time to be thinking about meditating on his word, that I'm filling up those times so that then when I'm working, I can be living the way that Christ would want me to live and be doing that work with gratitude. Um, this might vary for you, right? Depending on what your day looks like, you, maybe when you're working is a great time that you can be listening to something or you know, meditating on God's goodness and being thankful. It just depends. But you have to look at your life and figure out, okay, well, how am I going to make sure that in those times when I can't have the Bible in front of me and I can't be listening to his word, that I'm still living the way that he wants me to live so that I'm grateful to him rightly. Um, I'll just close with this quote he has at the end of the chapter. Um, the, the good news for all of us from Psalm 40 that we just read is that the one who's been blinded by his own iniquities is beginning to see. He sees his blindness. He's awaking to his bondage. His spiritual eyes are being restored. Sight is given to the blind. God is being merciful. Every saved sinner can sing, I was blind, but now I see. As God gives you grace in overcoming blindness, remember, everyone is an instrument in his hand. So make a conscious effort to see people and then thank them. Children, spouse, pastor, laity, neighbor, clerk at the store, yes, even the telemarketer. Thankfully, Gratefulness is a habit that can be cultivated. Ask God to enable you to become radically grateful from the heart and ask him again and again, and I'll add again and again and again and again and again to open our eyes. And I'll add also to look at Jesus. Any other closing thoughts, comments? Well, if nothing else, remember... Look at Jesus and consider him. Josh, would you pray for us?